Survival Podcast. It's a Monday, and I thought it was long past time that we do a good old-fashioned listener feedback day um, type of show. If you guys sometimes are like, I want to hear more about this or that or the other thing, or why don't you talk more about the stuff you used to talk about or whatever, you know, I do a lot of this show driven by your feedback. So if you want to participate in a show like this, or maybe even without trying, end up causing an entire episode to happen, some of your questions, your comments, your talking points, all the types of things that you want to hear, including news stories and stuff like that with links, and send it to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC in the subject line. That'll make sure I pull it out of the spam folder if it ends up in there. Uh, and it's good to say something like TSPC question for Jack, TSPC comment for Jack, TSPC article for Jack. And when you ask your question, you can do this for me. You can do this. Do it in a single sentence question mark or make your point in a single sentence period. Do that and you will be more likely to actually hear back from me, folks. And if you hear back from me or hear me on the air, then you'll get what you want out of it. And I'll know what you're asking and you'll know what you're asking. It'll be great. Anyway, with that, uh, glad to see so many folks tuning in today. I am monitoring Rumble on the other screen and I do have myself logged into Twitch over there. I need to make Hunters a mod, and I don't remember how to do that, but I'm going to try that right now. I think it's slash mod. Sorry, guys. Let's see if that works. I, I bet it doesn't. I don't. I don't think I have an idea what I'm doing on uh, on Twitch yet, but we get some spam over there, and it distracts me like it was doing it right there. Anyway, if you are watching today, I have returned to YouTube. They let me back on, uh, you know, after suspending me for a week for a video that I did last summer. That's always fun to get suspended for something that is well into the past. And I'm also on all the other sources except Twitter, and apparently it's not a hang-up between StreamYard and Twitter that has me not on Twitter. It's something to do with Twitter because StreamYard support said, hey, try going live on Twitter directly. And when I went to go live on Twitter directly, there's nothing there. No way for me to go live on Twitter. There's no button for live. Is that something going around or did I piss off Elon? And I'm going to talk good about Elon today. What's up, Elon? Um I don't really know, I, and I haven't had time to track it down yet. I don't get a lot of views on lives on Twitter anyway, so I'm not that worried about it. But we are back and on the attack. So let us – oh, Hunter says the power flows through my digital veins. Maybe I succeeded over there on Twitch. I don't know. I did something somebody told me to do, and we will see if it actually works. Anyway, if you get any spammers, uh, Hunter, if I got it right, go ahead and banhammer their ass. All right, what are we going to talk about today? Again, your feedback. And uh, today, what do we got? We are going to start out with a question about dogs. And we are going to talk about Elon taking over Twitter and the Twitter file dumps. Uh, not really going into them, but I have a question I really like about Elon and uh, what's going on at Twitter. I have a question about Bitcoin. Don't worry, you guys don't like Bitcoin. It'll take less than five minutes to answer, but it's about creating new addresses for Bitcoin transactions, how you actually do that. It's really, really simple. In fact, if you're using a good wallet, you probably don't have to do anything. Uh, 
question about our electrical infrastructure. A listener left his job to take a side hustle full time. Just a little progress support on freedom from another one of our listeners and some thoughts on that. How we could actually restore farmland to nature. I saw a discussion going on in our MeWe group for the Survival Podcast about how there's this big push now from, of course, the eat the bugs people and, and what have you to, uh, to restore nature by getting rid of like 70% of our farmland or something crazy like that. And somebody said, well, this probably won't end well. I'm actually for restoring nature to the places that we grow our food. I think it's fine to grow our food and be natural at the same time. And there's a way to do that. And it is grazing based systems. Uh, I have another sous vide hack. Um, somebody said on the, uh, the telegram group today, something they're doing with sous vide. And I thought it was just freaking awesome. I wanted to pass that along to you guys. We're getting to where I could probably do a whole show just on things you can do with a sous vide circulator besides make steak. And, could society actually function in a truly libertarian system of government? I say if not, we're screwed. Many of you have heard this uh, answered by me before, but we'll do it again today. Got an email from somebody. Unless we have a fairly new listener, not picking on you. New is new. It's not a bad thing to be new. But it's the typical, you know, how would we have schools and roads and bridges in a libertarian system? Not even an anarcho. libertarian system can't pull it off. I think we can. All right, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Bush's uh, new seminar he's got coming out on Wednesday, guys. You, you're going to want to make this one if you can from Live Free Academy. It's the Common Sense Crypto Webinar. Um, and, and John is more and more focused mostly just on Bitcoin and, and privacy things like Monero. Uh, but all of it works the same when it comes to being able to protect your coins. And I have been screaming for years, get your crypto off the exchange. I'm freaking Paul Revere begging you to get your crypto off the exchange. I've literally switched lately on Twitter to saying, if you lose your crypto now because you're holding on an exchange, you deserve to lose your crypto. I don't really feel that way. I'm saying it to make a point and trying to get through very thick skulls. But I also know the real reason that people refuse to do this is fear. And that's what John put this seminar together for, to take away the fear, to show you exactly how to take your crypto off the exchange and secure it for yourself. There is a link in the video notes below, and there will be a link in the audio notes that will be out with the podcast about one hour after the live stream ends. Again, this seminar is completely free. I think there's a paid option on the back end to learn more. Uh, but the basic seminar is free. Comes out Wednesday, 11, I think, is the time. 11 a.m., I don't remember. So you can read the write-up here. Yeah, 11 a.m. on the 14th. And you're like, I can't watch it then. It's okay. You'll have uh, the ability to play it back all the way up until Friday night. Uh, at any time through the, the, those period of days. It'll be a couple hours after it's over before it's available for playback, and then you'll have through Friday night to watch it. So, But the thing is, you got to register before it happens to have that. So check it out today and get signed up for it. Next up today, I want to sponsor myself today, right? Um, the TSP Swag Shop has been doing really great. We've had lots of orders coming in from lots of you guys picking stuff up, like my awesome uh, survival podcast coffee cup. I think it's a great coffee cup. But what I'm really excited about, and I talked about doing this a long time ago, we finally have redneck hippie farmer t-shirts. 
You guys really should check them out. Get yourself a redneck hippie fa uh, duck farmer T-shirt, even if you don't farm ducks. No one will take your shirt away, even if you're not actually a duck farmer. And before we dig into everything else, let me remind you guys that I will never contact you for any personal information or private chat extra in the video comments. Just because you see my logo doesn't mean it's me. Anybody anywhere can copy images online, even vaulted NFTs. I just had to take that rip. All right, so let's start off with uh, I got an email from a guy, and he said, I need you to – this is this is straight up to the point, but not enough information, right? A little class on how to ask questions. Uh, I have a dog that is committing self-harm. Even though the dog knows better, knows it's going to get in trouble, like as soon as you leave the room, it starts doing the behavior again, but didn't tell me the behavior or what's going on. So I had to write back and find that out. That's not enough information to help you. Um, but what it is is the dog is licking his feet, specifically one foot, until it becomes bloody. So this may be a trip to the vet. So he had the dog in the cone of shame, doesn't want to keep the dog in the cone of shame. And the cone of shame will prevent the dog from licking and will give the problem area time to heal, and it may be appropriate, but it depends. And, and you have to be careful, right, with using something like that if it doesn't actually fix the problem. You also have to be careful with thinking you're, you're being unkind by putting the dog in the cone of shame. I don't want my dog in the cone of shame, but if it has to be, it has to be. Right. So first, maybe that's just what's necessary. But here's generally the case when it comes to that type of behavior. The dog is not likely got a case of canine OCD. It hasn't decided I don't like the way that particular hair looks, looks, looks or I, I identify as a three pod versus a four pod dog. And I'm trying to lick my paw away. There's something wrong. And I'm actually dealing with this with Charlie right now, so it's kind of ironic. My, my pit pointer mix, Charlie, is licking both of his feet to the point where it's causing problems. Not quite this bad. I took him to the vet. We had an injection for allergies because they believe it's an allergic reaction to something. And it sort of kind of a little tiny bit helped. We've been using Benadryl. I will not give you dosage. You need to talk to your dog because I am not a veterinarian. But we were using Benadryl as well, and that seemed to help some. He's now on a medication. I don't remember what it's called from the vet. That's a pill that's going to cost us significantly every month if he needs to stay on it. The issue for us is he's had these flare-ups on his paws every year for a couple months. This year it happened later in the year and lasting longer. Might be something with the weather. Might be these uh, these hackberry bagworms that we had this year with all the crap that's coming out of them. Who knows? Uh, but something's wrong. So. I would say this is probably a trip to the vet. Some things I can recommend by name that I know can be helpful and have helped my dog in the past dealing with situations like this. The first is a product called Zymox, Z-Y-M-O-X. There's a link in the audio notes. Again, that'll be available about an hour after this video ends. And uh, you can get over there and click that link. It is in the T-SPAS catalog as well. You can look it up on my website and go to survivalpodcast.com and just type in Zymox and you'll find my write-up on it. It is a hydrocortisone product, 1%, and it has four enzymes that are derived from different components within milk. If you read the reviews of it, there are people that have literally said, I am so happy I have cried tears of joy for what this did for my dog. And it does work really well when it works. It doesn't work for everything. It is not 
working for this with my dog at all. It is not helping him. The first time I've used it on anything like this that it didn't work, but whatever this is, it didn't work for. The other thing, and it's kind of like a virtual cone of shame, right? And for those who know what I mean by cone of shame, I'm talking about the thing you put around a dog's head, a big, big cone that goes around the dog's head. Cone of shame is from some Disney cinematographic movie, whatever, with the dog. And I think Up is what it was from. Anyway, the cone of shame, uh, a virtual cone of shame could be something like bitter apple. Bitter apple spray. And, and this stuff, I don't know how any dog ever licks through it, but some of them will. You spray it, and it tastes awful. Anybody that's ever used it, if you ever, like when you spray it, you get a little bit of mist and inhale it, you're like, ugh. Whatever's bothering my dog right now, he's powering through it. That's how bad it is. So we have to address the underlying concern. So this may be a trip to the vet. Anybody with um, anything, any other suggestions or what have you, um, please let us know in the comments section. But, again, when the way this question came in, it was like the dog is is doing the thing as though – the dog is doing it only because it's obsessed with it. That's how I read the question. If I got your question wrong, man, I'm sorry, but that's how I read it. And that is not how dogs work. There's something wrong and you need to address what's wrong. Next up, I, I got a question from somebody, actually several somebodies I've gotten questions about with Elon taking over Twitter. And uh, the questions are, all pretty much in the same vein. And it's like, Jack, you've said that you're a fan of what he's doing. You're enjoying watching people lose their minds over it. He's releasing a lot of factual information. It's literally criminal, but nothing's going to change. No one's going to be held accountable, et cetera. Like, so do you think anything good comes from Elon Musk's 40-whatever-billion-dollar purchase of Twitter? The answer is yes, but let's let's talk about what I mean by nothing will come from it from a justice standpoint or something like that yet. And that is, there is nothing we've learned that we didn't already know. What we've done is we've taken the things that we knew, and now we have 100% proof positive that that's, that's what's going on, right? But we knew people were being shadow banned. We knew that Twitter was allowing porn and child porn on the platform. We knew that because uh, you could go look at it if you wanted to. I didn't want to look at it, but you could look at enough to know. You know, you're, you're the head of safety and whatever, Yol, who finally Elon woke up to the fact that guy's a scumbag and bounced him too, literally did a tweet back in 2015 proclaiming that porn would return to Twitter, that he yelled it from his desk at work, right? So we we knew that... All of these people had been banned. We knew that there was no consistency. Like, we knew all this. And we knew some of the things that were going on were probably criminal. And we knew that the Democratic Party and the government were in direct communication with these platforms, directing them to do things. We know that's a freaking felony-level thing, right? We know that's a felony-level thing. Um So it coming out doesn't really do anything because here's the other side of that. All the people that said it wasn't happening, most of them knew it was happening too. They were just okay with it because it was their side doing it. That, that, that's it. it. It's just they, 
absolutely 100% knew it. There was one guy I can't think of, some podcaster or DJ or something. He said something like, I wouldn't have cared if the DNC had kids tied up in the basement uh, or Hunter Biden had kids tied up in the basement. All we wanted is to get rid of Trump. And that's kind of where that other side is. So I think all you've got now is further division, right? Because now the left has to defend the indefensible, but it will. And the right has proof of what they've said, but they've said it for so long and been debunked by bullshit for so long that they're still just debunked. A year from now, you'll still hear it was Russian disinformation or some shit like that, even after the other sides admitted that it wasn't. Like, it's that's how entrenched things are. I think the good is the people that knew now really know. And I think that the good is understanding how, how stacked the deck is against us. No, not thinking not that, not believing it, knowing it. And I think there is not so much a middle, but I guess I would call them like a centrist right to centrist libertarian group that held out doubts that it was really this bad. And I think those people just got shoved over to the other side. And so I think some good can come from it. And I think the best good to come from it will come in time. Okay? It will come in time. And, and, and what I mean by that is, the longer this goes, the more that comes out, the more people will stop believing in fairy tales. When all of the Twitter dumps are done, there's nothing left to dump. Everything's been laid bare, and nothing happens. The Great Pumpkin does not return, because that ain't happening, guys, right? There is no... There is no meaningful reform on anything. None of these people are held accountable in the public sector or the private sector for what happened. When zero is the result of this much bad, finally some people will go, yeah, you know, I have to not play in their freaking place anymore. I have to not. I have to not. I have to now do things for myself. So anyway, I had a little communication I had to do there uh, on text. That's all I think the good can come from it. And that maybe people then will start to realize that all the stuff that we teach, you have to take it very, very seriously. You have to take it extremely seriously because it's our only option at this point to basically create our own sandboxes to play in. I want you to understand that as long as you're in somebody else's house, you fall under somebody else's rules. And the biggest lie that you've been given about our government is that it's the people's house. It's not. It's the house of the oligarchs and the gazillionaires. It's the house of the deep state. They control it. You play in that house. You play by their rules. And those rules are a deck stack against you. On all these social media platforms, including the, the, the number one uh, reach that I have right now, which is YouTube, 
We have to play by Google's rules. Does it suck that Google banned me for a week for saying a thing that's actually proven true over a year and a half ago last week? Yeah, it sucks. Is it wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Is there anything I can do about it? No. And we need to know when we have no, we have no leg to stand on and we need to know where we need to build our own thing. Everything that we've been talking about with like parallel economies, et cetera, and homesteading and strong community, et cetera, we need to, uh, we need to, uh, we need to take it all very, very seriously now. And there's a comment going on about an old community member that popped back up in the chat, and I need to address it because I can't do it by text and keep this going, the, the, the trials of live stream. Guys, I don't know if it was him or not. I don't care if it was him or not. Popping up like that out of nowhere after being asked not to over two years ago is not okay. Timed out, not banned till I find out what's going on. Any further discussion of it, I'm going to ignore. Anyway, moving back. Um, that's it. That's all I think we get. We get a full understanding that we are indeed alone in the wilderness as a remnant of sane society. Next up today, how do you create a new address for Bitcoin transactions? And this person knew why, but I'm going to throw in why should you. So I got an email from somebody. Again, those of you that want to tune out on Bitcoin, give it five minutes or less. It won't, it won't hurt you to hear a little bit of this. And in concert with what I just said, Central bank digital currencies are coming soon to a bank and, uh, uh, and a country near you. One way or another, they're going to have complete control of your finances if you don't have a means to conduct transactions in a peer-to-peer, decentralized, autonomous way. So the only real, real, real way to do that is Bitcoin. It really is. Uh, I've said this before when it comes to crypto versus Bitcoin. If, you're, if your thing, whatever it is, has a CEO, it is not decentralized. If a small group of people can change the thing and change the quantity and change the policy of the thing, then you are not decentralized. If anybody inside the thing can be shut off, then you are not decentralized and autonomous. And the only one that I know 100% is, is Bitcoin. All right. Soapbox away. How do you create a new Bitcoin address for Bitcoin transactions? If you're using a wallet like Exodus, it should, though, you'll need to check Default to the concept that once you use an address and you receive to that address, you can keep receiving to it, you can keep reusing it, but if you request an address to receive to again, it should automatically give you a new one. So the next time you get a transaction, just click on receive and see the address that it gives you. And if it's not new, then you need to change that option in the settings and Instead of explaining how to do it in Exodus and having half the people listening tune out, I'll just say whatever wallet you're using, just Google how to make it give you a new address each time. Because it's usually just a simple toggle in settings somewhere, and it is a great practice. And the reason is very simple. It's not about being a super secret, you know, spook, Jason Bourne type or something like that. It's about not giving information away that you don't need to be giving away. Now, I've been... Uh, I've been doing business for a long time in Bitcoin, right? So, you know, I probably maybe have received a significant amount of Bitcoin over time. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I, maybe I lost my keys in a boating accident along with all my guns. I don't know. But it would probably be a good idea that it would probably be a good idea 
that you not get to know exactly how much Bitcoin I have because you make a purchase from me. So just think about it that way. So let's say, Jim, who's here in the comments, and I got your all caps comment there starred for follow-up at the end, Jim. Uh, if he said, I want to pay you for MSB and Bitcoin, I say, here, it's on sale for 35 bucks today. He says, great, give me an address. I give him an address. He sends me 35 bucks. He says, I wonder if uh, that transaction went through. So he clicks on the transaction ID to see the block explorer, and he sees the address, and he says, I wonder how much Bitcoin's in that address and what it's done in the past. And he clicks on it, and it says something like, Jack Spirico has 8 bazillion Bitcoin. Well, Jim might show up on my house and stick a gun in my mouth and go, dude, I know you have it. I saw it. So that would be bad. Uh, and we'll just end that. We won't be having any more of that. So the other problem is just information that maybe my competitors don't need. Now, for me, selling pretty much one product that I personally sell, which is a membership, not that big a deal. But let's say that I had uh, the Survival Podcast Emporium. And I sold a variety of prepper products, you know, knives, guns, tactical stuff, practical stuff, solar panels and shit like that. And I was very successful at it like some companies are. And I said, I'm going to sell in Bitcoin. And let's say I did 10% even of my transactions in Bitcoin. And let's say I was real stupid about it. In fact, in spite of the fact that I was smart enough to sell all that stuff, um, I was dumb and I used a single address for every transaction. It'd be very easy for the Survival Emporium also, some other also-ran company, to come by, look at that address, and see the number of transactions on it, and price match, and go into my catalog and figure out what I sell on what days, what I sell the most of, and say, hey, he's probably selling about 10%, multiply everything by 10, 10 and get an incredible amount of collective informa uh, competitive information about my operation and therefore compete with me in a better way. I don't want to give away that information to my competitors. So those are just a couple reasons. It's, it's better that people not know. So always use a new address for every received transaction. And I won't go any deeper than that because it's not a Bitcoin breakout episode. Uh, we talked last week, if you guys picked up and heard the coffee chat with Nicole Sauce and John Willis and myself Tuesday, about these attacks on our electrical infrastructure that happened. I think it was North, it was either North or South Carolina. Uh, another one popped up in, on the West Coast somewhere since then, a smaller, much smaller situation. And I've been getting questions like, how vulnerable is our infrastructure, our electrical infrastructure? And the answer is, is, is complicated. If, if you mean strictly from a pure risk assessment, what is the likelihood that we have widespread grid failure out the ass in the next six months? It's actually pretty low. If the risk assessment is, if there were determined actors who wanted to make that happen, could it be done? The answer is yes. There's a lot of things that you can do without a lot of expensive material or complex planning that can put a lot of people without power for extended periods of time. And we're in, and I've covered this already. We are in a situation where we have a shortage of everything. We've never had a significant abundance of electrical transformers and other components necessary to keep the grid up. 
ever, but it's lower than it's ever been because of COVID and because of import issues and because of allowing a foreign government who is an adversary to have this much control over our supply line and having no wherewithal to do anything to correct it since it's become painfully obvious to even the most casual observer. But there's, I, I get the feeling there's more reserve supply than we're being told, not less. Opposite lie for a change. And the reason is the massive amount of damage that was just done to the uh, island of Sanibel, Florida, which I have a very personal attachment to, and surrounding Fort Myers area, Lee County, Florida, the whole area, just massively destroyed. And what I just saw in the parking lot of, of, a, of, a, of a shop called uh, uh, Bailey's is a massive amount of electrical components, transformers, etc., sitting there staged so they can rebuild the electric, electrical infrastructure on Sanibel. I'm not saying that means there's not a problem at all. What I'm saying that means is if you read the reports that I covered a couple months ago, you would have said what I was looking at was not possible. But that's how short the supply was. Because don't think that every city is just going to give up 10 of their shit, right, to send to Sanibel and Fort Lee, right? That's uh, Lee County. I'm sorry, not Fort Lee. Uh, it's not going to happen. So there's more of it, I think, than we've been led to believe. But there, I, I, I do believe there's some shortages here. So that's one side is what does it take to put it back once it's damaged, depending on how it's damaged. But the other side is how easy is it? And I almost don't want to talk about this because I'm not that smart when it comes to how to do it. And yet I can give you a dozen ways that would be dramatically effective. I've actually thought about doing a podcast. I've thought about it for years and I, I have determined I will never do it. And what I was going to call it was America's Worst Day. America's Worst Day. And looking at all the things that I would call soft targets for an adversary, if I wanted to cause as much damage to this country, as much fear and pain and anguish as I could, and I could put together a group of, let's say, just a 1,000 dedicated uh, terrorists, and I could have all 1,000 of them have a mission, they don't have to know anybody else's mission. They just have to attempt to get their mission done on the same day at the same time. That's it. That's the total amount of coordination. And if and I was going to do that from the premise of only 25% succeed in their mission. So one in four fail. Some of them would be teams. Some of them would be working individually. The amount of devastation that could be created to this country is hard to even get your head around how vulnerable we are. And one of the key vulnerabilities that we have is how electricity works. It's not, it's not our grid. It's how like, the fact that electricity works the way it does and that transformers do what they do and they're necessary to get things done and they are somewhat easily damaged where a person with a high-powered rifle could do an immense amount of damage to a few substations really fast. That's as far as I want to go with it. There's a lot of other things that could be done with, let's say, drone technology, et cetera. And there's a lot of things that could be done that would, I don't even want to go into this, but it would cause small problems that compounded over time that would take a long time to figure out, track down, and stop. 
and it's it, it, it's it's frightening. So what I always try to bring people back to when I talk like this is the scene in Men in Black, the first one, where Will Smith's character is losing his shit, right? Absolutely losing his shit. And Tommy Lee's telling him, calm the hell down. And he said, but they're about to blah, 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 and blow everything up, and there's a spaceship, and it's going to kill us all. And Tommy Lee says, it's always that way. And the only thing that keeps people's heads from exploding is they don't know it. That they don't know it. And so while that risk is there, there's risk every morning when you get up out of bed. And all we can do is go back to what I've been teaching for 15 years, building your life in as resilient a manner as possible. Because what inevitably happens in the prepper space is people get attached to their thing. They get attached to the power grid's going to go down. They get attached to nuclear war. They get attached to whatever, right? They get attached to whatever that one thing is. It's, it's the doomsday preppers thing. As you notice that every doomsday prepper that they featured, every family they featured, I'm preparing for a coronal mass ejection from the sun. I'm preparing for a collapse of the economy. I'm preparing for a global scandemic, whatever, right? That's not what you prepare for. You look around at all the systems that you rely on for support, and you build redundancies into those systems. So the answer is the actual physical vulnerability to our electrical service is high. And the more components that exist above ground, the higher that that actual risk is. But go on with your life. If you're worried about it, get a generator and have lots of fuel for your generator, right? Uh, but understand, it, like a lot of these people, like I'm going to have electrical generators, and I'm going to have solar power, man, and I have geothermal and a windmill. And if society's completely blowing the hell up around you, how is this going to actually help you very much? Do you think that if we have like half the power in the country down, you're going to sit around and watch Netflix? You know, and you're going to cruise around in your, your wood gas burning car or something like that's not how the world works. So go on with your life, building your redundancies, but realize that your redundancies are more about having people you can trust and depend on than things and stuff. Because things and stuff will only take you so far for so long. I would say, like, if you're really worried about the grid going down long term, First thing you need to do is get to know every single neighbor that you have and every single neighbor that they have and every single neighbor that they have and form as good of relationships as possible with all of them. And don't do anything, but identify the problem children before they're problem children so you know who's asked to keep an eye on when shit goes sideways. That, that's, that's what I'm going to say there. Uh, next up, I just wanted to read this one for you guys. Um, I love getting emails like this. Let me find it real quick. Can't find. Oh, there it is. Another jerk email. Jack, you're a jerk. Just kidding. Partly thanks to you, I've built my side hustle into enough for my family's full income needs and handed in my notice as an employee today. One more piece of freedom gained, Robert. Robert, congratulations, man. And thanks for sharing with me. I mean, Guys, if you, it's emails like this that are the 
the best things that come across my desk, I guess, or into my life on a daily basis is is getting emails from people that say, you know, I, I started a side hustle and turned it into a full size business, full time business, or you know, I've invested in real estate now, or I, you know, I've I'm, I've become financially independent due to Bitcoin. I don't care what it is. Uh, I, we had this major disaster and we just walked through it uh, without any problems whatsoever, and uh, it was easy and you know everything worked out well. Uh, what have you? And uh, Jake Robinson is being useful. Jake says he just spoke to to Stephen Harris and it was not him. So we had somebody claiming to be Stephen Harris showing up here at the chat uh, for reasons I won't get into. I, I've uh, amicably parted ways with Stephen, and that means we don't do things together anymore. So him being there seemed odd, and apparently it was an imposter. Thank you for letting us know that, Jake. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, when I get that information that somebody's life is better for what they learned on the podcast, when somebody says they just closed on their new dream property, when somebody says, you know, they, they, they now are producing half their food from their backyard, uh, things like that. It's, and, and here's, so here's my, my kind of, I guess maybe I'm baiting you a little bit, guys out there, guys and gals. We're almost done with another year. The clock's ticking like it ha- always does. We don't hear it, and it's probably good, or we'd get too stressed out, but it's good to pause and think about it once in a while. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. Another way to think about it is you're born with a finite number of beats of your heart. Gum, glump, gum, glump, gum, glump, gum, glump. And one day, you know, maybe you'll be asleep and it'll just go glum, glum and stop. Maybe someday something horrible happen. It'll be as horrible, uh, rapid beating before it stops. But someday, one way or another, every single person that can hear my voice right now, you'll have the last. And I'm not trying to put you down. I'm trying to build you up with this reality, right? We have that limited dash, that hyphen that they'll put between two years when we die in our obituary, on a stone somewhere, whatever. It will run out. It will be gone. There will be no more. So you got another year ending. That's a good time to think about the fact that 2022 is gone like a fart in the wind. If you're ever going to make whatever dream it is you have happen, when? When? Especially those of you who haven't started, who haven't even tried. Those of you who have started, tried, and failed like five times, I have no worries about you. None, because you're going to keep going. I, I did. You're going to keep going until you find your thing. Those of you who haven't started, I worry about you almost as much as the people I worry about just a little bit more. The people that tried and failed once and haven't tried a second time yet. That worries me. Don't think because you gave something a shot and it didn't work that you're done. And if you haven't started yet and you keep... And, and those of you that are happy where you are, you have a regular job or whatever it is, or you live in a suburbs but you like it, you're good, and you're not lying to yourself, you're legitimately happy where you are, don't let me push you one bit. If you find a place in life where you're truly contented and happy as a human being, and as long as you've taken steps to build redundancy so you don't get pushed off of that, as long as that's the case, 
God bless you and go on. You found more happiness than 95% of people that will ever live. But if that's not you, and in your head, well, one day I'm going to have my own thing. One day I'm not going to have to answer to these assholes anymore. One day I'm not going to worry about the fact that I have a pile of bills sitting on my desk anymore. Anything like that. When? Yeah, this is where nice Jack turns into asshole Jack and starts hitting you in the head with a two-by-four. Sorry, it's who I am. You should know by now. You've been dealing with me long. When? It wasn't 2022. You still have a few days left. What, 22 days or something like that? Right? Whatever it is, you still got some days left in December, but you know, nobody does much this time of year. This is a good time. I'll even give you a pass. I, hey, after next week, guys, I'm on vacation for two weeks. I'm, I'm hanging out with my family. I ain't, I'll give you that. So December's almost done. 2020, 2022 is done. Is 2023 going to be your year? If you're still a fat ass, and you keep thinking about keto and proper human diet and all that, and one day I'm going to do it. Is 2023 going to be your year, or am I going to be in your face in December of 2023 asking the same question? Because I will. I'm coming back. I'm not going away. As long as you keep coming back, this is what you're going to keep getting. When are you going to do it? If you have a substance abuse problem, whatever that substance is, whether it's carbohydrates, alcohol, or drugs, or something else, when are you going to address it? If you have a desire for your own thing, when are you going to start it? Researching it is not starting. Talking about it's not starting. Investigating isn't starting. Doing it is what matters. You know, I pick on somebody all the time here. Jake Robinson. You know what I'll give Jake credit for? He does shit. For all the shit Jake takes, and he is a pain in the ass when it comes to asking questions at seminars and what have you. When Jake Robinson says he's going to do something, it may or may not work, but he's going to go do it. It, it. Look at this guy here. Look at his look at his face for those on the video. See his face there? If he can do it, what's your problem? What's holding you back? Don't let me have to come back and ask you this question again in 2023. Decide right now. None of this New Year's resolution bullshit. That's all crap. Ask anybody that owns a gym. What a New Year's resolution is worth, nothing. It's just a time. It's a gut check. Either you're going to send me an email like this a year from now, or you're not. Or you're going to be close a year from now, and that's okay. Or you're going to be on your third failure year from now, and that's okay. We all get shit wrong in our lives, guys. God knows I have. But what will you do with your dash? In this coming year. And will it result in a Jack, you're a jerk email. Or will it result in nothing. It's up to you. It's my best paydays. I'd like a lot more of them before I'm finished with what I do. Every one of those emails. Guarantees I'm going to do this for another month of my life. I, I, I promise you. Whatever my end point is, it adds a month every time I get an email like that. Because that's worth it. I've been asked to do things like get involved with more like mainstream media, get on the radio, screw that, run for political office, screw that, get involved in politics, screw that. This is what means something to me. This is how but people say, well, what about serving your country like you did when you were a soldier? This is serving my country, creating a world of entrepreneurs that can tell a system to go shove it up their ass. When all the COVID stuff was going on, you know who didn't care about mandates for anything? Entrepreneurs. 
not giant corporate apparatus bullshit guys that, you know, because I promise you the people that are up in the top anyway, they do what they wanted, no matter what they said they did. But they made their people do things, right? That's how all the force was, it was enacted through employers, et cetera. Do you know what small business people that actually had a resilient small business that you couldn't shut down? You couldn't just say you can't open your doors. You know what we did? We went on with our lives and we, most of us, our companies and our, our going concerns are larger than they have ever been. Larger than they've ever been. You know why? Because it was, it was almost like being told you can't and going bullshit. I'll show you. It was like a gut check. Like, you could feel that this could be a bad thing. So you're like, what I'll do is before it even gets bad, I'm going to build. This is, this is what you're going to need. And I don't care if it's building a business, doing a side hustle, or, or fixing a problem. You're going to need an attitude of, I will take control of this, and I will do this now. It, no matter, it doesn't matter that it could be worse. I'm not going to let it get worse. If you're overweight... You know, and you have some health problems, but you're not that bad. And your doctor tells you, ah, it'll be okay, you know. Just take one extra insulin tablet when you uh, have your, your Christmas dinner. It'll be okay. you got to say to yourself, I don't want to get to the point where I'm willing to change because I'm going to lose a kidney or a foot or both. Whatever it is, do it. Do it. Get on it. Start building your independence into your life because glum, 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 glum. Glum, glum. It might as well be tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. We all have a clock inside our chest. That clock, that timer beats, and there is a finite number of beats. And you could have 10 years left, 20 years left, 50 years left, 20 days left. Unless you're in a really sad situation of being terminal and having a, a very specific prognosis, you don't know. Life's great that way. It's great that way because it gives us the freedom to dream about tomorrow. It's dangerous because tomorrow's dream can keep getting put off and stay tomorrow's dream till the ability to capitalize and create that dream is long past. It's long past. Don't let it happen. Don't make me stomp your ass again. Let's move on. Um, so, again, I saw this story today, and it was interesting that is is much as I loathe the people behind it, because this is clearly like from the WEF and the Gates Foundation and all that shit, this type of thinking, that farmers are the problem, right? And meat is the problem, by the way, because we grow the corn and we grow the wheat to feed the meat, and then we eat the meat, and we have even more farming, and that's even worse, that type of thinking and all. And I know I've talked about this before, but guys... The entire solution is right in front of us. I, I think we're at a point now where pretty much this is how it works. If you believe what you're told by the mainstream and you follow its advice, you're probably going to give yourself diabetes. You're probably going to give yourself cancer. You're probably going to shorten your life. You're probably going to be overweight. And there's some other things I could say that might get my channel banned for two weeks this time, so I won't. Okay? Maybe I'll do another podcast on all this in the new year where I just won't put it on YouTube, right? Um, but, like, you either buy into their bullshit or you don't. And as soon as you accept that their bullshit is, in fact, bullshit, that their advice is designed to create, in my opinion, 
an apathetic, lazy, sick society that dies slowly across time so we can extract their life force. And whether that is because the system happened that way. In other words, because of the way things are set up and because of the incentive structures and the control of government apparatus and regulatory capture, it just happened that way. Or it was orchestrated by design. Doesn't really matter. It is. And it's obvious. And what that means is every problem that we have that they make is to, it's told, there's no way to solve this without taking money from you. There is a way. It's actually painfully obvious when you look at it. And it doesn't require taking money from you. And so the farmland and how much we use for cattle operations as far as CAFOs and all that shit, the solution is simple. Grow a cow on the grass that the cow as a ruminant is supposed to eat and grow the cow on the grass all the way up until graduation day. Kill the cow as close to where it ate its last blade of grass as possible and ship the meat to the closest customers there are. Now, I'm going to give you more than that, but that would be a good start. That would be, imagine if you had, look at it another way. Let's say you have a natural fishery, right? And, but see, we, look, I was going to say this because it's so obvious how stupid this is, but we do this. We do it with tuna. I was going to say you have a good fishery. You, the fish eat all, all of the things they need from their own environment. And so let's put them in a cage and feed them pellets. But we even do that in the ocean with tuna. We do it with salmon. Isn't it, isn't it obvious? Let's do something we've never, we've never domesticated in raises a food product. And maybe that will show us how stupid this is. Okay. I don't know. Who out there has ever eaten squirrel? But I have, and I think it's delicious. If you've eaten squirrel, in the and you are in the live chat, put up there, I've eaten squirrel. Tell us, preach how good squirrel tastes. Squirrel is delicious, right? So squirrels pretty much live in the woods, and they eat the material that's in the woods, right? They eat acorns, and they eat black walnuts, and they eat mulberries, and they eat little nubs off of the trees, little buds in the spring, right? Nobody, I know that people in parks and in suburban housewives feed squirrels on their feeders and feed them sunflower seed and all, but in general, squirrels pretty much make a living off of the wilderness. And what if we said, hey, you know what we should do? We should come up with something that squirrels are not supposed to eat that they will eat, like cat food. Right. Because they will eat cat food. I've seen them do it. OK. And so we decided we're going to have a squirrel farm. And we're going to go catch the squirrels and put them on a farm and keep them in cages and feed them cat food. And right behind the squirrel farm is giant stands of oaks and walnuts and beech nut and mulberry and all the stuff squirrels love to eat. And then we said squirrels are unsustainable as a food source. Because we have to grow grain and turn it into cat food in order to have squirrels to eat. That's how stupid this is. A cow is a ruminant. And here's the thing, guys and gals. The beef you buy, the nastiest CAFO beef you can buy, that cow, for the majority of its life, ate grass already. They finished them on corn and other grain. 
in CAFOs, these, these confinement operations, these high-density confinement operations, generally for about six weeks. They do this to, to, to increase the final weight and to heavily fatten them up. This is unnecessary. A cow will put on plenty of fat if you give it enough time to do so. But if you limit grazing land to the point where for the number of cows we want every year, there's not enough land to do it with, and you put ranchers under pressure to operate within your system your way, and you regulate that system to the point where they kind of have to, unless they're complete renegades. By the way, tomorrow, guess who's going to be on the air with us? Texas Slim from the Beef Initiative. I will put that episode on Bitcoin Breakout. It will not be a Bitcoin episode for those that tune out for that. Tune in tomorrow to, to hear all about what's going on with that. Unless we have those complete renegades, then what happens is these, these ranchers end up having to go the CAFO route. So right now we have millions upon millions upon millions of acres of coin, soy, wheat, barley, rice, etc. And even though I'm anti corn, soy, wheat, and barley in my life, I'm not anti you having it if that's what you want to eat. You're a grown-ass man or a woman. If you want to eat wheat and oats and you think that's good for your cholesterol, you just go ahead and you do that. Okay, And if we want to grow it, fine. But what we don't need to be doing is subsidizing with massive amounts of stolen money and having these massive 40,000, 50,000 acre plots of one crop. This is bad for the environment. This is destroying our oceans and rivers with, with, with what's running off as far as topsoil and nutrient and creating algae blooms and everything. This is an environmental catastrophe. If we instead graze ruminants and use leader follower systems and plant lots of trees, and they don't have to be forests. We plant rows of trees and big plots of, of grazing land. In other words, we mimic the savanna, which is the most productive terrestrial ecosystem that we have. It sequesters the most carbon, and it builds the most soil. Right now, a well-developed savanna ecosystem is the gold standard for soil development and for carbon sequestration. The only thing that even gets close, it's a shallow marine system, like mangroves, etc. And that's all we have to do. And we could do it, and it's very easy to do, and the United States is in a prime position to do it. And so the thing about that, then, is you would end up with nature returning. Because there's nothing unnatural about a ruminant wandering through a field of grass eating grass. And there's plenty of room for deer and antelope and pigs, wild ones, right? There's plenty of room for all the wildlife. There's even plenty of room for all the predators. When you're dealing with animals on this scale, your ranchers are going to employ the services of livestock guardian dogs. Those guys are going to do a lot less killing of coyotes because coyotes aren't stupid, and a hell of a lot more of coyotes going, yeah, you know, we don't operate over there because those big giant white things, they eat us, and screw that, we're not going to do this. And so there's room for everything that's supposed to be there, and when we put in a cornfield, there's room for nothing that's supposed to be there. There's room for nothing that's supposed to be there because nothing like corn 
is supposed to be there. Not just corn's not supposed to be there. Nothing like corn is supposed to be growing naturally in Nebraska. And if you say that it is, or Kansas, show me a native plant that's like corn. I have one plant that's not domesticated maize that's like corn that I know of. Seoente, which is where corn came from. It is not native outside of the subtropics and tropics. It's from southern Mexico down that this plant is native. It does not grow in Iowa or Kansas or Nebraska or any state that we're so proud of all the corn that we have there. It doesn't grow there. So there's nothing like corn. You know what's like a cow? A bison. A bison is exactly like a cow. So a cow belongs there. A bison belongs there, too, in my opinion, but those days are gone. They're not coming back. We can put a cow there. And before the Younger Dryas catastrophes, bison antiquitous was there. And tons of other huge grazing ruminants were all over North America. And they existed alongside all this other wildlife diversity. So all we have to do is put it back as close as we can and in a designed way that serves humanity. So I'm all for let's restore as much natural ecosystem as possible to the country because and I'm not going to talk about doing it in Brazil or doing it in Europe or because it's not my business. This is so far above my pay grade talking about doing it here in the United States. It's enough. We have examples all over the world of it being done. You want to see nature in all its glory? Go to Mark Shepard's farm in Wisconsin. And 20 years ago, it was hard packed orange clay that washed out every year when there were floods in the spring and was bone dry by August and could barely get by as a corn and wheat farm. And today it is this gorgeous ecosystem full of, of, of birds and frogs and other amphibians that are on the endangered species list on this little 110-acre farm. Like an island oasis of nature surrounded by all these farms that are devoid of diversity. You know what's on there? Pigs. Cows, sheep, etc. Turkeys. And he grows tons of vegetation too, but it's the form of plums and apples and things like that. And most of the land is set up as grazing, alley-based grazing systems. There's no reason we can't do this. None. Moving on. Sous vide. You guys know me. I love sous vide cookers. I resisted sous vide. When I first heard about it, I thought it was this artsy, fartsy, hipster bullshit, some Frenchy thing or something like that. It probably is French. Those guys, when it comes to cooking, ask a Frenchman. And then I discovered it was actually a much easier way to cook a delicious steak. Now, you know me and steak, I just went on, what, like a 15-minute rant about raising beef and restoring ecosystems with it? I'm pretty keen on eating red meat. So if you show me a way... To cook a steak easier and better, I'm going to do it. And so I did. And then I realized, like, so wait a minute. I can make medium rare brisket tender? It'll taste like a Kobe steak, Kobe beef steak? How, what? All I got to do is throw it in there for two days, and I'll end up with a you know 140-degree tempt brisket that's, that's like fork tender? Oh, no shit, I'm going to do that. So I started cooking with it, and... Then I came up with like all these other things you could do with it. Like Nicole Sauce and I were just talking about making cheese with it. I saw an episode of uh, Guy's Ranch Kitchen. Great cooking show to watch, by the way. Uh, he brings all, like, he'll bring four 
really top end chefs in each episode and give them a theme like we're doing, you know, Thanksgiving meals or game day meals or something like that. And they'll all cook their own thing. And uh, this one gal that I was watching, she made her own ricotta cheese. And instead of using lemon juice uh, to cause the curd or vinegar to cause the curd, uh, she used yogurt. So I was texting Nicole and saying, have you ever made cheese using it? And uh, using yogurt, and she hadn't, but, you know, we went back and forth on a few things, and I was like, this is cool. So I started making cheese with it. And then, like, we needed to be able to have students do dishes here at workshops. We're like, well, we can just take a great big giant pot of water for the hot water pot, throw a sous vide circulator on it, set it to 130 degrees, and call it a day. And there's just tons of things that I figured out to do with sous vide, but this one I never even thought of. And it's in a weird kind of way, sort of, kind of, like the cheese thing. Now, I don't have the specifics on time and temperature for this yet because the person hasn't answered me uh, on the Telegram group. But this morning on Telegram, there was someone on there saying that they were now pasteurizing their meads and homemade wines using sous vide. So when you finish a mead or finish a wine, there's a couple things you can do. One is you do nothing. And if you've truly finished it, if there's no residual sugars left, if the yeast are truly done with their job, well, then when you bottle it, you won't have any secondary fermentation. It won't carbonate, excessively carbonate, etc. right? It'll be done. Well, that's great. If you've, in fact, completely finished it. And with beers, like we actually, when we bottled beer, we used that residual sugar to create carbonation. So as long as we're close enough to the end of the game, it's beneficial to us. But everything else can be a problem. The other ways you can, with with uh, with wines and meads, et cetera, use sulfates. And basically, this is a sulfur-based chemical that will kill the yeast. So we'll add that to it. Some people have reactions to it. Some people just don't want that in what they drink. But if you're drinking commercial wines, unless it says does not contain sulfates, it probably does. So if you're one of these people, you like you can drink alcohol and, and you don't have any problems with it or anything and you, you're not a slot and you're not getting you know dr- drunk off your ass or whatever. So you can responsibly use alcohol and you can have a drink and then nothing happens, but you drink wine and oh my God, you turn red in the face or whatever from it. It may not be that it's wine. It may be that it's sulfates. Who knows? So there's this market for people who want alcoholic product, kind of like a wine, that is free of sulfates but also is done fermenting. So all he's doing is sticking all his bottles in there after he bought, has them in the bottle and running the sous vide circulator for a while. Bringing the temperature up, now you're going to get no evaporation of the uh, alcohol as you raise that temperature because it's corked. And if you don't go too high, you're not going to, you know, blow it out or, or what have you, right? This is something some people don't want to do, but I think it's more, it's more about marketing, you know, cold filter, never heat pasteurized. Like it's just marketing shit. It's like saying Beechwood aged for Budweiser. You know what Beechwood aged means? Nothing. Beechwood aged. That sounds like you know, aged on fine American oak. Right, beechwood. The reason I use beechwood is because it has no flavor contribution to the beer whatsoever. That's why Budweiser is so flavorless. They put beechwood in the fermentation tanks 
these like baffles so that when the yeast settles out, because lager yeast settle out, that it collects on each baffle so that there's more exposure to the yeast. So the fermentation will complete faster because not all the yeast is on the ground, on the bottom of the fermentation tank. And somebody in marketing got a hold of it and went, Beechwood aged. Yeah, man, that'll sell this swill, right? So I think the whole, you know, never heat pasteurized thing with some beers and wines and stuff is, is more marketing like that, more like the Beechwood age thing. So I don't think this will hurt anything. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say this this gentleman sounds like he has a side hustle, you know. We, we can't, you know, commercially sell without a license. Who, 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 what do I know? Maybe the guy has a small-scale micro-license or whatever. But, you know, you could be making some beers or wines or whatever for your friends and family, and maybe they just give you a gift back. I, I don't know. But anyway, pasteurizing the yeast in meads and wines using a CV circulator. So I'm going to give you my estimates and maybe this person, if, if, if somebody's in the Telegram group and they answer and I'm not around, email me if they don't and let me know what he's doing specifically. Because if somebody has the formula, let's run the formula. My guess is you're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 130 degrees for 15 minutes. 140 degrees for a couple seconds will kill all of the yeast strains that we use to make beer and wine with dead. That's a dead temperature, absolute 140 dead. Um, 120 is considered yeast injury. If you put yeast into an environment with 120 degrees, you will begin to, to kill some of it. Any When it comes to pasteurization, temperature and time work together. So, when, you know, when they tell you, like, hey, you know, you got to boil water to make sure it's safe. you got to boil it for 10 minutes. That's like overreactive nanny state bullshit. That's, it's a lie. You don't have to boil water for one second for it to be safe to drink. One second of boil and you're good. And here's why. That water is going to start to pasteurize everything that can kill you at 160 degrees. There's nothing that we consume that won't start to die if it stays at 160 degrees long enough. As the heat in that water builds to 160, now you're at 160 you have to go from 160 to 212 Fahrenheit. There's a there's a delta in there. And by the time you get up to 212, everything's dead. And I've had people try to break this. Well, if you have a jet boil, man, and it gets there so fast, it's still 212 degrees. What are you going to do with it now? Take 212 degree water and shove it down your gullet? No. So it's going to have to come down in a temperature to something you can drink. Which, by the way, I don't know about you, but it's probably below 160 degrees. So you got the entire delta back down before you're going to use it. So anyway, that's all just to give you one of those myths that goes around in the prepper space all the time. But if you took water and held it at 160 degrees for, I don't know what the exact time is, so let me go nanny state and say two hours. It's way more overkill than you need. Then that water is going to be pasteurized, too. So I think you can pasteurize yeast below the 140 number, which might be a little less likely to impact the final character of the wine or the mead. And I don't know what number you really need to do. So if this person has figured out like 124 for 15 minutes or something, let us know because that is a cool freaking hack. And I'm really thinking about, and I'd be interested to hear from you guys by email, 
would you be interested in a sous vide show where we don't talk about cooking steak at all? It's just all the other things that you can do with something that brings water to a specific temperature and holds it there. And you can buy a device that does it for between 50 and 100 bucks. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. And I've got your question marked, Joe. I got one more and we'll go, we'll, we'll go and do some questions, which means to say, if you have any questions, please put them in all caps and I will try to answer them for you. I'm kind of checking in on the other platforms, but it's really hard to do. So the last thing is I got an email from a guy and said, what, what is your vision of what a truly libertarian government would look like? And he said he's very liberty-minded, and I don't ever hit people in the head that are in this place in their life, because God knows I was, and I stayed not an anarchist for a lot longer because people would say stupid shit like, well, you're just a statist and you don't know it. or Be kind to people that are asking questions that lead them in the right direction. Basically, he says, I'm as liberty-oriented as anybody. And, and the reason I say that is, well, no, you're not, but it's not your fault. Right? You're asking a legitimate question you need to get past. Right, but if you were liber, liber, as liberty oriented as I am, you wouldn't be asking the question. You'd be done. You'd be answering the question, right? So he said, you know, I just how would we get the most basic things we need done in a society, like roads and bridges and stuff like that? Like we have to have this, right? These are needs, and so can it ever actually function? Can we ever actually have a society and be truly a libertarian society? My my short response is, if not, we're screwed because the the trajectory we're on. And I alluded to this in my discussion about Twitter earlier today is complete and total technocracy and complete and total tyranny through technocracy and oligarchy. That's the path we're on. So either we build an alternative and that looks like libertarianism is a minimum or we're screwed or we're going to have the dystopian future that so many sci-fi videos and TV shows and movies and books have predicted. But that's if, if you're going to stay on the mindset that we need to make people do everything that's necessary for things to function the way that we think they need, then, then tyranny is the natural result. It's why the most liberated free governments that have ever existed always end up tyrannies. One of the biggest police states, in fact, I would say the biggest police state that's ever existed on the planet is the United States of America. And we were one of the freest nations that ever existed at one time. And in a lot of ways, we still are. In a lot of ways, we're illusionarily still that way. And people would say, well, China's a bigger police state than we are. Well, they have a billion more plus 1.5 billion more people. That kind of helps with that. They have a mindset toward that type of collectivism and tyranny anyway. But I'm not even so sure. I'm not even so sure that they're a bigger police state. I would say they are as big a police state. There's certainly things that they do that don't happen here. But we could put it that on the same way in the other direction. But if you think about, you define for me a more libertarian system of governance than the United States under its forced form of government had, which was the Articles of Confederation. And then we began to eat away at that. And later we came up with our current constitution, and then we continued to eat away at that. 
and tell me a nation but tell me a nation that's been more successful tell me a country that's more successful at any point in history than the United States is at its height lifting more people out of poverty creating more opportunity for more people creating more millionaires and billionaires Who's done, who's been more successful? Look at when it comes to innovation. Look when it comes to changing the world for the better or worse. Who's done more? And the answer is nobody. And yet we end up steamrolling into tyranny. And this is why this is hard to get your head around. But the more free a government is, the more tyrannical a government will become because prosperity will lead to tyranny. Well, this sounds insane, and I know when I was a kid and my dad told me this, I thought my old man was nuts. But what he said was, a government, even if you give it like five powers, that's the only five powers it has, it will in time figure out how to use those five powers to create a sixth power. And then it will have more power. And it will use those six powers to figure out how to create a seventh power. And every time it adds a power... It's exponential in reverse. It gets easier to add another power. It gets easier to step into a new place. But it takes time to get from having only five or six things that it can legitimately do to get to 10,000 things that it can, you know, legitimately do. Now, I don't think it can legitimately do anything. That's why I put air quotes around it. But I mean, under the generally accepted mindset of the population, yes, the government can do this thing even if I don't like it. It takes time to expand that power. And during that time where that government is truly limited, the population will be truly prosperous. It will become incredibly wealthy. And no matter how small the piece of theft that they're taking is, the number in that piece, the top line number, will get bigger. In fact, a nation that's very prosperous and taxes very small amounts will have more tax revenue than a nation that's very oppressive and taxes a very big amount. Because the one with the small, would you rather have 1% of a billion dollars every day or 100% of $1,000 every day? To make it really obvious, you could have $1,000 a day every day, or you could have 1% of a billion dollars every day. If you didn't pick the 1% of a billion dollars, you need to go work on your mathematical skills. Okay? Really, really hard. You, the public school system failed you, right? Whoever taught you math failed you if you didn't immediately answer that. So what will happen is as those powers are added, because the state apparatus naturally increases its size. It acts like an organism. It seeks to survive by growing and reproducing. The longer it takes the more money will go into the coffer and the more revenue there will be to build a police state, to build an oppressive state, to build a tyranny. And if you're going to have a system where the government works in consort with industry, fascism, okay, not capitalism, fascism, which is a form of, you guessed it, socialism, will prosper. And the more strength and power and wealth these entities, these non-governmental entities develop, and it's combined them with a the growing government, the more tyranny there will be. This is why I think libertarian isn't good enough. This is why I'm an anarchist, because I know the progression. If we leave the cancer, 
it will metastasize and grow. And if we feed the cancer tumor, it will grow faster and metastasize worse. You know what grows cancer tumors, by the way? Sugar. It's cancer fuel. I'm just saying, that's a scientific fact, YouTube. If you want to ban me for that, go ahead. Please tell me you did, though, so I know why you did it. So money is what fuels the growth of government. Now, that said, would I take a libertarian reset? Would I take downsizing the United States government to 10% of its current role and saying, figure it out, folks? Yes, I would. Now, my purest buddy anarchists are going to be like, that's crazy. You just explained why you shouldn't. Yeah, but you're not giving me the other option. If the option is we leave it the way it is or we reset to 10%, I'll take reset to 10%. Because that gives us another 200 years to try to figure it out this time. But I would take zero as well. I would absolutely take that. Just unreasonable. But the question itself, you know, how will we pay for roads? So how do we pay for roads now? What funds roads and bridges, et cetera, now? Well, they're funded through... Fees that people pay on their vehicles, like tags and stuff like that. They're funded with gas taxes and fuel taxes, and they're funded with tolls. None of those things actually require a government, and they certainly don't require an oppressive government. You can have a libertarian government that says, hey, you want to use the road? We figured out since it's our – let's say we've decided the government gets to build the roads. Let's not even talk about private roads yet. Let's just – the government's going to build the roads. The government says, well, we figured it out. We, and, and the government's mostly honest here and says this is what it costs to maintain and build the roads. And we've worked out how much people drive, and this is the usage fee. You use the road, you pay for the road. You don't use the road, you don't pay for the road. Well, what about people that get stuff delivered on the roads? They pay shipping fees. Shut up. We're done. The road is needed, so people that want to use the road will pay to use the road. They already do. We're done. What about schools? Okay, we don't even need to go there today. Because if I had my way, I would get rid of the Department of Education, and I would take away the state's ability to make school compulsory, and I would take away the ability to tax property or any form of involuntary tax to pay for school. But we, because you believe that your kid needs to go to school, if all the money that's taken from you across your entire life were given back, you would fund your kid's education. See, to me, the way this comes down to it, people get really pissy when I, when I, when I make it this simple. Anything that you say that we need, you are either willing to pay for to have it or you're willing to use force on a peaceful person to steal from them in order to have it. That's when you say we need government to do it. What you're saying is that because we need to have this thing, that this person over here who doesn't use the thing, who doesn't want anything to do with the thing, or this person over here is totally willing to pay for the amount of the thing that they use. Both of those people need to be stolen from because you don't think you can afford the thing? Or you think some other person that you can't even name couldn't afford it? What about the poor people? We've always had poor people. We've had very libertarian governments and poor people. Now we have completely non-libertarian governments, and we have more poor people than we've ever had. Gee, it's almost like government doesn't fix the poor problem. It's almost like government actually empowers people to be poor. Government pays people to remain poor. We call it welfare. Or whatever the hell they call it in your country if you're not from the United States. Social Security. And no, I don't mean for old people. I mean the Social Security that we pay people. 
this is the natural result of, of, of the type of government we have. The place I'm from in, in Pennsylvania is a very impoverished place, Schuylkill County. Schuylkill County is where Jack Spirico came from and Yingling came from and a few other cool people came from. There's not m- much else that I can tell you that came from Schuylkill County that you would know about if you weren't from Schuylkill County. It's that kind of place. It's a coal region. It's right smack in the central coal region of Pennsylvania, and coal mining ain't what it's been for 50 years there. It is worse off than places like Allentown and Pittsburgh. Okay, And there's a goal in life that people have that live here, and that's to become retired young. And do you know how you become retired young if you live in a place and there's a million other places just like Pottsville, Pennsylvania. You become retired young by getting on disability. And people literally work out in their mind, how can I get on disability? And they literally say when they're 43 years old and on disability and they actually could do something, I'm retired now. And they're put into a position where if they do any amount of significant work at all, they'll lose what they have. And what they have is guaranteed for the rest of their life as long as the fiat monetary system doesn't collapse. And they have complete financial ignorance, so they don't know that's a possibility. Well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to do nothing. Maybe they'll do a little bit of side hustle that they can get a buy for, usually something illegal with their buddies and friends. I'm not going to say what. You can figure it out. And they just stay that way. So if we can't, exist in a society where people basically pay for things that they use as they use them, then we're screwed because all we're going to get is more of what we had. And, and, and now I'm back to my thing that I always say when I talk about anarchism. It doesn't matter if you think it'll work or not. It already did for most of human history. Most of society was not a status society for the majority of time human beings walked around. And what we think of as very tyrannical empires of the past were far more libertarian than the United States is today. The Roman Empire was more libertarian than the United States is today. And certainly many of the other former great civilizations were far more libertarian than today. Go look, you know, we had this giant war, eight-year-long war of revolution with the English over taxation without representation. The taxes the colonists paid in 1775 were a pittance compared to the taxes an American in Pennsylvania or Virginia pays today, you know, right where the heart of the, or Massachusetts is today, right at the heart of the revolution. There's, it was an average of about 3% of your income when you added up all the tax stamps and everything. It wasn't really an income tax. But when you did the math, the average person paid about 3% of their income in taxes to the crown. What do we pay today? Conservative estimates are 40%. And for most of you, that's a pretty good number. Because you're employees, you have a W-2, you have no way around it, and you don't even think about all the other taxes you pay. You turn the light switch on, you use electricity, there's a tax on that. Did you know that? Look how much of your phone bill is a tax. Look how much your internet bill is a tax. And the internet company is like, we don't charge you a tax. We don't have an internet tax. Yeah, they do. They have to pay it. They just rolled it into the price and made you feel good about it. You're still paying it. You go to work, you pay a tax. You leave your office, you put gas in your car on the way home, you pay a tax. You go in the store and say, screw this shit, I'm going to have a couple beers when I get home. You buy a six-pack, you pay a different tax. 
You drive home, you probably pay a toll somewhere. There's another tax. You put a sticker on the car, that's a tax. You get home, turn the light on, that's a tax. Open the refrigerator, that runs more electricity. There's a tax there. You get your property tax bill, you pay your mortgage, there's a tax on top of a tax on top of a tax. We are tax cattle, is what Art by Lee Murphy saying. We are. It's a tax farm operation. And to keep everybody happy, let's make sure that they're eating shitty cow chow food. Let's make sure they're depressed and miserable. And let's tell them that everything in the world that's wrong in the end is actually either their fault or they're a victim of the person standing next to them. Let's make sure they never blame us. Don't blame the companies. Don't blame the state. Don't blame the politicians if their initial matches the initial on your voter registration card. Blame the other ones. And then just stay there and go moo and pay your bills. And accept there's nothing you can do about it. And you will get nothing but more of that and more success of that system without pushing back radically. If you think our government should be 50% of its current size, and you're okay with our government being 50% of its current uh, size, you need to be pushing for it to be 5% to even have a prayer to get to 50 Join the anarchists. If we shoot for zero, maybe we'll get 20. But I'm not an anarchist because I believe it will work better, even though I did. I am not an anarchist because I want to turn you into one. I am not an anarchist because I want to run under the anarcho party for uh, political office. You notice there isn't one. If there was, it would be fake because you can't be the pro-anarchy and say I want to lead, I want to rule over others with an elected office. Unless you commit it, I will vote no against everything. Unless it's yes to remove something. I guess you could do that. Right? You, you walk in a tightrope there. No, I'm an anarchist for one simple reason. Morality. I believe it's the moral decision. I don't believe that I have the right for Christine here. She just showed up. Christine Moss. Most, however I say your name. Christine, I'm sorry if I got it wrong. She says, this is incredible gravy. Jaggy's on fire. Thank you, Christine. I don't have the authority to say to Christine, hey, Christine. Nice house you got there. I think it's worth mm, $250,000. You're going to have to pay me $2,500 a month because you're privileged to own a house, right? You, because you have that privilege to pay for your house. You owe me more money so that your neighbor's kids can go to school. Whether you think that should be or not, I don't have that right and you don't have that right. I do not have that right. No one here, unless they're very high on some very bad drugs, whatever, say Jack Spirigo has the right to tell Christine she has to give him money to fund education for any reason. Okay, then how can I vote for someone else to do something I don't have a right to do? How can I confer a right that I do not have? And the answer is I can't. Not morally, not ethically, maybe legally, but not morally or ethically. So I'm an anarchist because I don't believe I have a right to steal from you. And if I can't steal from you, I can't empower someone else to steal from you. And I'm also not a fucking coward, right? You know what a fucking coward is? I think this person should pay for this because they should. Now you go make them do it because I'm too much of a coward to go make them do it myself. It's so easy. I'll just vote for this ass clown and he's promised to raise taxes on rich assholes like Christine. 
with no understanding that what I'm saying is it's okay for these assholes to point guns in Christine's face and make her pay the money so I get what I want because I'm too cheap to pay for it myself and I'm too much of a coward to go get it for myself. It's okay to use force on peaceful people as long as you don't want me to do it. Or I'll do it if you give me a uniform and a shiny badge and give me qualified immunity and tell me when to do it and how to do it, and I can claim that I can't think for myself. Then I have enough courage to do it. And a bunch of other people will back me up when I do it. And a guarantee that the entire apparatus of the state's behind my back when I do it. And I'll be the force by proxy, or I'll support the force by proxy, or I'll vote for the force by proxy, or I'll promise it via force like by proxy. See, I think all that's wrong and immoral as fuck. So it only leaves me with one moral response. I'm opposed to it, so I'm an anarchist. The how? We have all of human, all of humanity's future as long as it exists until we destroy ourselves to figure out the how. Don't you think there's maybe a million answers to how, and don't you think it's about time that we start trying? All right, with that, let's see. i got a few things stored here. Let me see what answers I can give you. Jim says, thoughts about the prisoner exchange. What am I going to say? For those that don't know what he's talking about, Brittany, whatever the hell her name is, a sports ball woman, basketball player, was over in Russia. She had a uh, THC vape pen. So basically, cannabis pot, call it what you want, vape pen. She got caught with it. This is a big problem for you in Russia. You're not getting a fine. You're going to freaking Russian jail. So they threw her in a Russian jail. And the United States exchanged an, a Russian arms dealer known as the Merchant of Death who was supposed to be doing 35 years, he's done like six or seven, for the sports ball player. And at the same time, there's a former United States Marine in prison in Russia for espionage that may or may not be, I'm not going to say isn't, a, I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like we got the bad end of the deal. The Biden administration immediately said, look, we want you to know. It wasn't a decision. It wasn't a choice. This was what we could get done. This is what we're, you know what that you know what it means when your government says this didn't happen. It means this did happen. It means they made a choice. It was a politically calculated choice that one was better known, and all the celebrities would fawn on it and shit. I don't know. This is what I'm going to tell you. No matter how much I will rail against the laws of a country, my own or others but in particular other nations. When you go to another country, it is in, imperative that you know their laws and you stay well to the left side of, of the law if right side is breaking the law. You don't take a freaking pot vape pen to go play sports ball in Russia. It was a dumb thing. Do I think somebody should do 10 years for a vape? No. I don't think somebody should do one day for possession of a THC vape pen. But Russia has Russia's laws. You are going there to play sports ball, to be paid a shitload of money to bounce a ball around like a seal and put it through a hole, and you could have not got high while you were in Russia. That's the, I mean, that's all I really got on that one. Uh, next up, Aaron says, off topic, but any updates on the aquaponics course you were working on? No, I don't know when I'll be able to have it out. It's not an aquaponics course. That's an aquatics course. And losing a computer as much behind as I was on that has placed me more behind. Uh, next up, any DIY solar kits you recommend? I do not. I do not recommend DIY solar kits. I recommend that you buy the best 
most affordable, most efficient solar panels you can get, the best, most efficient batteries you can get, and learn what a charge controller and an inverter are and just build your own from individual components because in the end, it will cost less. This is the same reason I don't recommend things like, you know, survival buckets of food because it will cost less inevitably for you to source individually what works best for you and you won't have shit in there that you don't really need and never will use. You know, another reason I don't recommend those, I actually have gone out and met my audience many times. I've been to people's houses and homesteads and stuff. And inevitably, when I'm touring around, we'll go into a room, like a gun room or something, there'll be a bunch of boxes or buckets of shit in there from several, like my Patriot Supply or something. And they'll say, yeah, I bought that before I found you and what when I was in fear mode and, like, we were never going to use that. So, like, I don't really recommend this idea that someone's going to assemble something for you and then sell it to you for less than the actual cost of it. I try not to be a Puritan with that, though, as well, because there is value. Like when I bought my computer, I didn't go out and buy my own motherboard and start wiring in my GPU and shit like that. Right. I bought a brand new computer set up ready to go. So if you really want to do something like that's okay. But there's certain places where I think it, it, it I have not seen any place where I'm going to get the best system for the money by buying a kit compared to going out and buying a 250-watt solar panel, a good quality charge controller, an inverter, and a couple you know GC2 golf cart batteries and wiring them together so they become one massive 12-volt battery. I, I, I just haven't seen it. Um, if you want to use like a Harbor Freight one or something to get your feet wet, that's fine, but it's not something I endorse. Thomas says, is there a reusable method of bagging the items for sous vide? I don't have a vac sealer and zip talk bags are unreliable. I uh, get a vacuum sealer and then you cut the top of the bag off, clean the bag out, dry it and reuse it. That's one. There are actually though, Thomas, if you go to, and please go to tspaz.com first and start your shopping there. There are reusable silicon sous vide bags that are, that are made to cook inside of. So just like you can buy a silicon muffin pan. Right. It's silicon. You can put it in the oven. It's 400 degrees. It doesn't melt and it doesn't hurt your food. You can buy a bag that's made out of the same stuff. And I think some of them are even designed like the, for you to push the air out so the food will sink. I personally use a, a chamber vac sealer. Um, I love it. It's totally worth the ridiculous amount of money that I paid for it, in my opinion. And if I want to reuse a bag, it's as simple as cutting. Make sure you do a nice straight cut cleaning and you can reuse the bag. Generally, I don't reuse bags, but that's the best answer I got for you there, man. Uh, Joe says, what temp do you set your sous vide to for backstrap? That is personal choice. Uh, for me, 138 degrees. A 138, in my opinion, gives you the, and I'll, I'll tell you that truly I'm looking at more like 136, 135. Whenever I'm cooking anything, I'm in general cooking for myself and my wife. My wife's going to want her temp like 145 to 146, 147 gray, right? All the way through. Little tiny bit of pink is about it. If I've brought the thing to 138, it's much easier. If even not like if it's in like one big backstrap, it's much easier for me to cut the backstrap in half. And when I'm searing it, 
just sear hers long enough to cook it to the temperature she prefers and actually finish the cook on a range top or something like that. So by being a few degrees higher, I get what I want, and it makes it easier for me to give her what she wants. But somewhere between 135 and 138 is kind of my go-to for all red meats, um, what have you. What's a general good price for a sous vide? About 100 bucks. That's from Hunter. Um, the one I just put out on T-Spaz last week that's made by the same people that make Instapot, Ninety nine bucks. The uh, Anova Nano, ninety nine bucks. Uh, the Anova, more advanced one that I just finally had one fail on me, about one hundred and forty. I have seen some that are in the fifty to sixty dollar range or less. I have not been impressed with the reviews on them. Now, the one that I bought, made by the Instapot people, I got mine on sale for sixty nine bucks. And if you're looking for a second one and you don't have one yet, it might be something to put on kind of a price watch or something like that. Um, and I run price watches on everything in my T-SPAS catalog. And I'll let you know if there's a price drop. And one way to make sure that you always know what my item of the day is, including when stuff like this happens, be on the Daily Mail. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Daily Mail and sign up there. You'll get an email once a day if I don't forget to send it anyway. Joe Tippett, uh, by the way, Oso Busco deer shanks, terrible. I'll take them off anyone's deer. Don't waste on the grinder. Uh, I think he's trying to be funny. He means they're just awful. Don't keep them. Give them to him. I hope that's what he's saying because, yeah, deer shanks are the lick, man. I, I have been to places where people hunt where they don't take the shanks, which is basically like on your arm, it would be the elbow down to your wrist, that piece right there. It is got a lot of uh, connective tissue in it. It's some pretty tough meat. And if you grind it, you got to cut it right or you get a lot of silver sheen wrapped around the screw of the grinder. But it is the richest, deepest, meatiest flavored thing on not just a deer, and to me, any animal of that kind, like Osobusco on a cow is this very famous, uh, you know, Bichin type. It's just, it gets a depth and a richness of flavor that's amazing. It's pretty good sous vide. I usually do Osobusco or deer shanks or lamb shanks or anything like that. I tend to do that um, in a Dutch oven, just slow cooked. And what I really like to do is cut, like, a deer shank or a lamb shank is too small to do Oso Busco cuts where you have like half inch, big round, all the bone exposed. Just cut, cut the meat on frozen so it'll cut nice or almost frozen so it'll cut nice. Bone saw, band saw right in half so that the marrow can get out of the bone into the juice and then braise that. Follow any good braising recipe for lamb shanks. Lamb shanks and deer shanks are very similar in size and cooking times and what have you. And, oh, dear God. And I have been places where there's a lot of hunters and a lot of deer harvested and no one wants them. And I'll go around with a sawzall and I'll just take them all, every damn one of them, and and not cry for a second. Uh, Can a voluntarist anarchy state survive in a world filled with systems currently in power from Tom? I don't know. Be nice if we could try, wouldn't it? This is like the final argument against anarchy that always comes up. Well, it would be great to have an anarcho state, but all the other states would come invade us and take us over. 
And I just look at this and I go, how many states are out there that basically don't cause anybody any trouble? And so no other states invade them. It's almost like, you know, our one of our founders, Thomas Edison, said we should have commerce with all and alliances with none. Maybe that's the case, you know. Um, in fact, I said the country that has the greatest predisposition to invade a smaller country with a weaker military to impose their will on them is the United States. I, 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 I can't think of a nation that's dropped more bombs in the last hundred years than the United States. I definitely can't think of a nation that's conducted more invasions and dropped more bombs since World War II ended than the United States. I can't think of a nation that's interfered in other nations, got their ass handed to them, and left. And that nation that was supposed to be such a terrible problem ended up not being one. I'm talking about Vietnam there. The whole way the American people were sold on Vietnam was domino theory. If Vietnam goes, the whole damn world will go. It's an existential threat. Your, your young man who just got out of high school hadn't even figured out how his dick works yet, should risk having it shot off in a foreign land to prevent domino theory. I have a very famous portrait on my wall behind the camera that you can't see of a man with his hand up on the Vietnam Wall with reflections of his buddies he lost in it. There's 53,000 names, I believe, 53,000 and some odd number of names. Maybe it's 56,000 uh, on that wall of all men that never came home. And it was all because that was the truth and that was worth the sacrifice and it's why we had to do it. And uh, yet when we left in utter defeat, no matter what anybody ever told you about it, the last helicopter took off of the embassy roof. Lots of horrible things did happen in Vietnam, far more horrible than they'll tell you in school. Awful, horrible, horrible retribution occurred. But did Vietnam cause a lot of trouble for the rest of the world? Did the rest of the world turn communist because of Vietnam? Even even places that did it, did it have anything to do? No. So I, I think the argument that we need a monster to fight the other monsters is an old argument. And again, it also, we get back into this point of, we're not going to do this anytime soon. All I'm advocating for is us individually practicing anarchy. That's what I'm advocating. And Jake says, do not get the nano ANOVA. It has serious design flaw. Ask me how I know I have three of them. Why do you have three if it has a bad design flaw, Jake? Why do you keep buying the same thing and breaks? Um, I think the thing about sous vide tech, and I've said this, is I think that you have to accept that sous vide circulators are indeed a newer technology. You're asking a lot from them, and we should not expect them to be lifetime purchases. And I'm, I'm hoping the people that make them will get better and better and better and better uh, at it over time. Real quick before I wrap up, let me remind you guys that you can help support the show and the work that I do doing your online shopping, as I just alluded to at tspaz.com, and I've just published something last week on Friday for you that I usually publish every year, a little bit later in the year this year than usual, and it's all the items out of the tspaz catalog that I think make great Christmas gifts. So some of y'all have waited till the last minute and ain't got anything yet, and if you look through this list, you'll probably find something for just about anybody. We got 
the Anchor uh, Soundcore wireless earbuds, stainless steel French press, coffee grinder, electric kettle, whole roast coffee, the Outdoor Edge EDC knife, at the knife for everybody, the Turkish folding pruning tool, the LizQ pellet smoker tube, anybody's going to love that. The E-Tech City 4-pack of LED lanterns, great for a prepper and non-preppers alike. The, the emergency backup lanterns are cheap, and they're something you can give somebody that's not a prepper, and they still see the value in what it provides them and maybe heads them in that direction. The Winchester 51-piece uh, gunsmith screwdriver, uh, screwdriver set, the Anchor Astro E7 portable charger, the grand Mac daddy of all backup power uh, packs. It will take an iPhone from zero to 100% 10 times on a single full charge. The Gerber Dime multi-tool, I use mine all the time. Thomas Jefferson's Garden Book. Anybody who's a gardener or a history buff will love a copy of this. I say on my write-up here, most of my books now, I've gotten rid of hard copies. I've given them away. I've sold them, whatever, and I've gone to electronic copies for efficiency. There's certain things I want to put my hands on. My collection of books by Peter Capstick and Robert Rourke, for instance, the Thomas Jefferson Garden books, another one. I want to be able to put my hands on it. It's a different kind of book for a different type of thing. I'm not reading a novel or something. Uh, the American Boys Handy Book, that makes safety police go nuts. Uh, the Herbal Medicine Makers ham, handy book, Handbook, uh, Mason Tops Complete Mason Jar Fermentation Kit, and the Bug Assault Eradication Gun. Let's talk about the last two real quick here with why I think they're good gifts. So I think fermenting stuff is a great way to go, making your own sauerkraut and stuff like that. But if you're watching the video right now, look at this box. Look at the way this presents. If someone in your life likes fermented foods, and you give them this, it just presents as a beautiful gift. I don't think they made it that way on purpose, um, but just an awesome, awesome book. And then the Bug Assault Eradication Gun. This is like one of the coolest little fun things you get your hands on. I love this. This thing's become a phenom. If you go to 3D printing sites, there's all kinds of stuff they've made to print to go on them and stuff like that. Uh, they're just so a lot of fun, and unless you shoot yourself in the eye or your friend in the eye at close range, it's, it's about as safe as anything like it could be. And I also kind of wanted to point out, like, a lot of these things, I put, like, things that go with them for you. Like, with the Mason Tops kit, the Fermented Vegetables book uh, by Christopher and Christian Shockey, that goes with them, or, or some of the other stuff. I've kind of, like, put in the other things for you, like the Liz Q uh, pellet smoker tube. This is a great tool. I love, I use mine all the time in the write-up. I tell you how to use it, but I also talk about, like, here's an option to get, like, an assortment of different uh, pellets and the ones I would recommend that you get, you know, to, to give along with it. So I've tried to add that for you guys as well. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And uh, tomorrow, again, I got Texas Slim from the Beef Initiative coming on. And while I will put it out on the Bitcoin Breakout channel as well, since Slim is such a big uh, name in the Bitcoin space, we ain't talking about Bitcoin much at all tomorrow. Probably talked about it more today than we will tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Beef Initiative and uh, what Slim's doing to bring that back, regenerative farming and stuff like that. Uh, we're starting to see more and more of that, uh, that overlap. And I've got a cool interview for you on Wednesday. Thursday and Friday, typical stuff. And uh, next week and the following week for Christmas, I think I might not be gone all next week, but pretty soon uh, hereafter, I will be 
disappearing and I will run rewinds for you. And then we'll be back starting off 2023 with a big bang. I got lots planned for next year. I appreciate all of you. Uh, I hope you don't, you guys don't mind that I take that downtime for two weeks, uh, every, every winter, but I recommend you try to do it for yourself, uh, as best you can. It goes back for me more than 20 years. Back when I was in the cable industry, cable and telecommunications industry as a contractor, they would always just send us home right before Christmas and tell us we don't want to see you again till after New Year's. And it just became a thing for me. And when I ended up having a job where I had vacation time and all, I always saved some of it to emulate as much of that as I could because it is the perfect time to be home, to be with family and what have you, and to be thinking about what you're going to do with that dash in 2023. Don't think asshole Jack is gone. He's still here. He's still going to hit you with a two-by-four. There's still more to be done, but take a pause in between then and now. Take care, guys. I'll see you tomorrow. Are they going to bail you out just run you around They said you should have a house the American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you'll never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution is you.